Welcome to the New Zionist Podcast, a brand new show from New Zionist Congress. I'm Noah Shufatinsky. I'm your co-host, Isabella Hazan. And I'm Blake Flayton. We're your three hosts, and we're here to offer a new, young, and authentic take on all things Zionism, Jewish culture, Israel, and politics. This week, we'll be discussing civil marriage in Israel, Iran and Hezbollah, the UN, and the Russian Jewish experience. But first, what is New Zionist Congress? We at NZC are here to build a space where young people can meet to discuss their passion for Jewish self-determination, learn about Jewish history, Israeli history, and contemporary Jewish issues. In the name of every Jew who has ever lit a candle in the darkness, we're here to build a bonfire. So join our community of empowered young Judeans and make sure to please follow us on Twitter at New Zionist and on Instagram at New Zionist Congress. And make sure to sign up and become an official member at NewZionist.org. I'm a proud part of the diaspora. In my heart, a whole Jerusalem in Africa. Kicked aside of our land and started gassing us. Till we put our foot down, cause we had enough. Check out the flag that I'm waving. Two blue stripes and a huge star, David. Check out the flag that I'm waving. Keep shooting rockets, but you never gonna take it. Guys, before we get into anything, I just have to give a very solemn testimony about the last 12 days of my existence. I know on the pod last week, I said that this week I was going to be in Israel. Once again, my plans have been foiled. Once again, I am a refusenik. And this time I actually dealt with the horrible, annoying bureaucracy (laughs) that many of our forefathers and foremothers had to deal with upon entry into the Holy Land. I'm I'm being, I'm exaggerating here. I, I literally was just at the post office. But the USPS lost my passport. It was sent from my parents' house. And on the way to New York City, it got lost in the mail. So I had to spend the entirety of August so far going to different facilities and distribution centers trying to find it. And it's just gone. It's just gone. And then I had to fly home to Arizona to my congressman's office to get a same-day passport that I had to pay an excruciating amount of money for, plus the flight home very, very last minute. And then when we were in when we were at my congressman's office, we got the email that all of these new restrictions were being imposed on Israel. Um, but hey, I'm glad I have my passport because I can go very, very soon now because I have a same-day passport. But yeah, um, I think the main takeaway from this, from the trials and tribulations of Blake trying to get to Israel, TM, because I'm going to write a book about that one day, um, is the fact that the coronavirus is the biggest anti-Semite on the face of the earth. Neo-Nazis, Hamas... Groypers on the internet, you know, radical terrorists, none of it all matters. It's the coronavirus. It's COVID that has it out for our people. The biggest Haman. Why is it so hard for the Jewish people just to get to Israel? 40 years in the desert, the struggle is just real. Like, why can't it just be an easy breezy way to get there? I feel you. At least you tried, Blake. I've been wanting to go for so long. I miss it. It's rough. I really did try. I really did try. And I was like, I was like feeling kind of upset and angry. I was like, bro, at Israeli government, do you know how much I've done for you guys over these past two years? <laughs> at them. On Twitter, you like, can add the different The like, least concerts. you could do is exempt me. Send us a private jet to go and make some content. Yeah, exactly. But I want to talk about Noah's shows in Israel for a minute. I saw you perform with Hasbra and like I saw so many video- videos of you. You're killing it. Can you talk to us about it? Yeah, so thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was actually the Hasbara thing happened like kind of last minute. 
because I know the executive uh, director in the Canada one. Um, shout, shout out, out Daniel. Daniel. OG. Daniel Corrin. OG. Did you just both sit at the exact same time? Yeah. You both said in. shout out Daniel at the exact same time. We're OG Hasbara fellows. Let's go. Same winter. And I saw Grisha, by the way. Grisha Yakubovic. He's so cool. Yeah, he's a G. He's cool. And we spoke about he, him on the pod. He didn't remember me. Until I was like, oh, I was on the trip right before Isabel. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I remember your face. Like, you're around the same time. Like, he had to pinpoint it down. So, like, you're the real OG Hasbro. Oh, you're the real, like, Hasbro OG. But, yeah, it was fun. Like, he hit me up. He's like, hey, like, we have students here. Like, he wanted to hang out anyway. Um, and he's like, but, yeah, if you want to come over here and, like, rap a song or two for the students. I was like, yeah, sounds good. I was just going to rap one song. But then people are like, oh, we want Diaspora, which wasn't the song that I was going to rap. But I was like, I got to do both now. Relatable. Um, yeah. Relatable. Because <laughs> if people. I would have been there and if you would not have rapped Diaspora, I would have flipped over a chair and have been like, Noah, you better get your ass back up on that stage. <laughs> well, the show that I did before that, I didn't rap Diaspora. Actually, I have a funny kind of story about this, about the show that I did before that. It was for um, this organization. They did like a party, Zionists on campus. They did a party uh, on a rooftop in, I'll say it properly the way Israelis say it, Rothschild. 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 There's like a rooftop bar um, and we had a, like, they invited me to come perform there. Um, and I put together this whole set of just, like, four fun hype songs. No diaspora. It wasn't fitting the vibe. I'm sorry, Blake. Um, but it was funny because I had no idea what I was, like, going to go up and do. But I performed Akhla. I performed Khalas. And then I had selected my song, IDK. It's, like, a, a Russian one. And I have the Rush, some Russian Hebrew lyrics in there. Yaniznayu, 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 which means I don't know. And I'm so used to being in Khadera. Everyone here is either, like, Ethiopian or Russian, like in my neighborhood. And also like there's a large like, uh, like Mizrahi, Temani population, but there are a lot of Ethiopians and Russians. So I'm used to like, everyone here is Russian. They know what I'm talking about. If I'm going to the place and I say Kartoshka instead of Tapua Hadama, they understand what I'm talking about. But I'm up here in Tel Aviv and I'm about to perform this song, Yanis Nayo, and I'm trying to get the crowd hype. I'm like, where are all my Russians at? If I said this in Khadera, it'd be at least half the people were like, hey, like, you know, from anywhere in like the Soviet Union. Two people raised their hands. I was like, oh, boy, what, what is about to happen? What there the was not enough land? Adidas representation in that crowd. There was not. But it was actually really powerful. Like, this was, like, the first show I was doing back in person. Because after, like, I rapped the hook, which is in Russian, like, the first time. The second time it came around, the whole crowd was joining in. So I'm here in this crowd. There's, like, one or two Russians, as I mentioned. And there's a bunch of Ashkenazi, Mizrahim, everyone singing along in Russian lyrics. I'm like, this is what Israel's about. Love it. Period. That song slaps. I, I know exactly I which song it. you're talking about. I can't sing it, but I know exactly which one it is, and it slaps. I know there's Adidas in there too. Yeah, Tracksuits, making fun of tracksuits. I can relate to that as a Moroccan. We know how it is. You know the the G-Shocks and the Adidas. Well, yeah. I love. You have to have it. I think exactly. Adidas tracksuits are hot. I like them. I used to be against them, but just recently I've been on a fashion journey because all of my clothes were ruined. That's the story for another time. You know, they Blake. say bad things happen in threes and a couple days before my passport was lost by the post office, like half the clothes in my closet were ruined by uh, a, a, a way of, of which I'm not comfortable sharing. But um, I've had to get all new clothes, which has what? been... I, don't worry about it. It's fine. Um, which has been fun. But like, <laughs> uh, you know, going in New York and buying new clothes. And I saw an Adidas tracksuit. And I literally, Noah, it was the day that you posted uh, on your Snapchat story. 
like the Adidas logo with a funny caption about Russian Jews. And I'm like, oh, maybe this is my moment because yes. I am a Russian Jew, but just like four generations removed. So I'm not right. as close <laughs> to the Adidas, but maybe, maybe that's in the future. Maybe that's in the cards. Who knows? Take it. No, that's so funny. I, Connecting with my roots. Send us on Khalifat Adidas or Khalifat Shel Puma. Ulai Khalifat Nike. No God, Rexuta. So like Adidas suit, maybe a Puma one, maybe a Nike one. A bunch of tracksuits. I got all of them. I got them all in my closet here, waiting for it to get cold enough to rock it. And you just need to start playing soccer, Blake, and that's it. You have the whole, whole vibe oh, yeah. to it. I mean, that's never going to happen. <laughs> but you maybe. Can, you can join Betar. Isabella, what have you been up to? Because can I just say, Isabella, my entire family is obsessed with you. And when I say my entire family is obsessed with you, I mean my mom. Because she thinks you're the most gorgeous person ever. She Isabella posted these photos of her at a wedding this week, and you looked stunning and so happy and tell us about it because I gotta say like my mom I was I was home in Arizona my mom goes that girl who's on your podcast with you and I was like yeah Isabella she goes oh, I follow her on Instagram she is just the most gorgeous girl I've ever seen so you have the Aww. endorsement of Sandy Flayant <laughs> oh sending her love thank you uh, it was so fun it was my sister's wedding I still have the henna on my hand I'm gonna take off my bracelets before Yoni kills me actually yeah so check out I still have the henna um, on my hand from my sister's hand. It was super fun. We got ready in the hotels the day of just Jewish, just a big Jewish wedding. And um, of course, I love the henna because that was that's my favorite part always. I love the music. I love the dancing. I love the colors. And I thought my sister looked so beautiful as like a, a Moroccan bride, I guess, or a Jewish Moroccan bride with all the, the colors, the kaftan and everything. It was super cool. And everybody was like, of course, you're next. So at least I wasn't at a funeral. And yeah, classic, classic wedding. Mazel tov to your sister in the Hatan. That sounds like so much fun, Isabella. And that's not all you did fun last week. You hung out with Halel Nair. <gasps> oh my God. It's, you I hung out board. with him. <laughs> I'm so excited. I still didn't even post a picture. I didn't post a picture on Insta yet. That's how excited I am. I just can't even think of a caption. I'm just too excited. <laughs> I can't even, I can't breathe. Like, I just can't. Oh my goodness. He is... Yeah, tell us amazing. about it. He's amazing. So Hillel Neuer is this Jewish man who holds the UN accountable. On all accounts, he's always there. It's not just for Israel, but he combats anti-Israel bias and he's like a leading attorney. And he's also from Montreal. And um, it was cool to meet him in Montreal because we're both from here and he gets like the Montreal jokes. He's super funny, super kind. We went out for lunch and then we went shopping. We went to my dad's store to buy his suits. He had a henna. And it was super fun. He's he's uh, really interesting. He taught me a thing or two. And we had a really great discussion. And I was so happy to meet him because I've always looked up to him. Um, he graduated from McGill Law. And he's from a, the, the, the Jewish community here. Like, I know what street. Like, he lives on, like, my friend's street. Like, we're all, like... The Montreal community is super small and super tight. So it was super cool to, to see him in that light also. And he's... Um, I really appreciate his work and what he does for our people. And his iconic video, Where Are Your Jews? I think we've all seen it. If you need the perfect illustration of who Hillel Neuer is, you have to look up on YouTube, Hillel Neuer, Where Are Your Jews? Where he's on the floor of the UN and responds immediately to this slew of anti-Israel condemnations by some of the world's most atrocious human rights abusers on the face of the earth. 
And he goes into this diatribe where he interrogates each and every country about like, hey, where are your Jews? You're accusing Israel of apartheid. You're accusing Israel of ethnic cleansing. You're accusing Israel of war crimes. Where are the Jewish communities that used to thrive and will not necessarily thrive, but used to exist in these countries? And where are they now? Um, which I think, I mean, he's just, he's one of my personal idols. And I saw, I, I literally thought that you were joking when I saw pictures of you guys like in just a random store, like buying, like at your dad's store, buying a suit. I was like, oh my God, did she go shopping? Like, with, do they go to catch a movie? Do they get Starbucks? Do they go like on a full day? Like, I don't know. Like a, <laughs> it was just, a little bit more, we would have went to go do our nails. Like, this is like my dream. I'm kidding. But like, I it know, was like, like my dream date. As well. <laughs> 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 literally. It was like my dream date. Israel, Hillel Neuer, and shopping. And then like kosher food. Like what else? Like what else could I ask for? What else? Perfect day. What else? Perfect, perfect day. But yeah, speaking of human rights abusers and awful, you know, regimes, I think you have something to say about Iran, Blake. Um, so Iran has been on my mind a lot lately, um, only because they're acting up um, and they're acting a fool. I have to say, um, for those of you um, who don't know, uh, last week there was a quote, and I'm quoting the Jerusalem Post here, suicide drone attack on a Liberian-flagged Japanese-owned ship, which was managed by an Israeli-owned company called Zodiac Maritime, which is a cool name for a company, but that's neither here nor there. Um, and the attack wind, wound up taking the lives of a Romanian captain and a British security guard. And almost immediately, um, Israel, the U.S., the U.K., and Romania said that Iran was definitely um, behind the attack. Um, and this is, you know, Iran is causing all sorts of drama in the Middle East um, for, for a while now, but especially as of late, they've been kind of ramping up their both political and military, uh, let's say, efforts. Um, and the reason why is because Iran and Saudi Arabia are in kind of a cold war um, right now as to who can impose their sphere of influence over the Middle East uh, in a more profound way. Um, and that has resulted in a lot of like proxy battles, um, especially in places like Yemen and Syria. Um, but mainly it's it's an issue because Iran, and for those of you who don't know, is explicitly and demonically anti-Israel. The Ayatollah sees the uh, what they call the Zionist entity as an abomination um, before the eyes of God, and it needs to be destroyed. And if they should succeed in developing a nuclear weapon, um, we know what that their first target uh, would most likely be Israel. Um, and or just to you know wreak more havoc in sponsoring uh, Israel uh, anti-Israel militants across the Middle East. Um, but it's it's just. It's becoming an issue because Israel is right now trying to galvanize the entire world against Iran because these attacks just keep coming, um, because this rhetoric just keeps coming from the very top of Iranian society. Um, and, you know, Israel is, I think, one of the re main reasons why the Abraham Accords went underway as fast and smoothly as they did is because the Gulf states, the states that are surrounding Saudi Arabia, are willing to be in an alliance as long as it's against Iran, because they too are against Iran and its sphere of influence um, and its power. Um, 
And But Israel right now, as I said, is trying to kind of rally the troops of the Western world around Iran in a more combative way, which is something that I don't know if they're going to get the response that they want from the Biden administration, which is, I'm not going to at all say pro-Iran, but uh, not pro-Iran at all, but not as hawkish on Iran as the Trump administration. You know, they're not assess. I, th- I actually, I think a little bit differently about it because I think that what we're used to, the thing that set Iran back to a certain extent with the Trump administration is that he acted in a very erratic and unpredictable manner. And they didn't know how he's going to respond. I think that the Biden administration, as we've seen so far, has been a lot more political. So a lot more, hey, here's a chance to come to the table, even though I think, honestly, that they know that Iran's not coming back to these deals. They know Iran's not coming back to these uh, terms. And they're just doing it to, to kind of save face, which I personally support because I don't want the Iran deal as it was before. And I think that if Biden is doing this in a more political way, it's not necessarily something that I think is great. But at the same time, I'm not I'm not scared. Like Biden is not going to support an Iran deal that's going to see Israel at risk. But so what do you think the the next step is? So as you say, if Iran is like, not coming to the table and not going to renegotiate the Iran deal. Um, I mean, where do we go from here? Because I know Isabella was posting about this a lot on her Instagram and, and on her story about just the ri- ridiculous sponsoring, and ridiculous is not the right word, horrifying sponsoring of terrorists, uh, explicitly anti-Israel terrorist organizations like Hezbollah. And they're not going away anytime soon. They're not, you know abetting their efforts or drawing back on their virulence. So where do we go from here? Because talks in Vienna trying to reorganize a new Iran deal are kind of fruitless. And I think everyone on the world stage sees that. I, th- I agree with the Begin Doctrine. I agree with this. I say straight Why up. Why don't you explain to our listeners what that is? <laughs> the Begin Doctrine is, it's like uh, how people describe Israel's um, policy of preventive strikes. And honestly, it's also something that we've seen Basically, what happened was there were nuclear reactors throughout the region. This has happened several times in the Middle East um, by countries hostile towards Israel that were clearly in the process of creating materials to make nuclear weapons. Um, Israel wanted to get rid of them. The rest of the world was like, oh, maybe we should wait. And Israel was like, nah, we're going to get rid of them because we're not going to have our entire people wiped out. Um, And it came into practice under Menachem Begin in response to, I believe, an Iraqi uh, nuclear reactor. Um, so yeah, that's basically the Begin Doctrine. This is what I agree with. And it also, one thing that I think a lot of people on the left in America are like horrified at, um, and in the right in America ignore because they don't want to give Biden credit is that Joe Biden has actually been taking action against a lot of, uh, Iranian backed militias in, uh, Syria and Iraq. So I hope that he continues that pattern and takes a harder stance against it. Iran is definitely a huge source of instability in the region and has been for a while. The people of Iran are also suffering. And it's extremely sad because Iran used to be such a free place. Women could do what they want. You know, it was more secular and you know, it was more focused on choice. And now with Khomeini, it's uh, f- far from that. And um, I've been posting how, how Israelis and how people in Lebanon um, are dealing with a similar kind of extremism, that of Iran and Iran's, you know, long tentacles that reach out all across the Middle East and their funding of, you know, uh, horrendous and disastrous and destructive terrorist organizations like Hezbollah or even Hamas, how they fund it. And it's crazy that 
how Iran will fund Hamas, which is Sunni, and Iran is Shia. That's how much they, that's how strategic they are and how willing they are to put their differences aside. And that's huge. And that's something that we should definitely, definitely know here. Um, so just this past week, about 22 rockets were fired from Lebanon into Israel. And this doesn't re- reflect the Lebanese people. This reflects Hezbollah, which is often referred to as a state within a state in Lebanon. And Hezbollah has a huge um, pull and influence in Lebanon, in parliament too. I remember when I went to Israel, on um, we went to a kibbutz that was on the border of Lebanon, and I saw Hezbollah flags. I saw those yellow flags. And I was shocked to see it because it looked really beautiful, the, the landscape. And then when you look closely, you see the flags and it looks like it's houses. But really what it is, is just these empty like uh, houses storing who knows, who knows what. What happened this week when Hezbollah tried to fire missiles, I believe it was missiles or yeah. rockets, rockets, out of Lebanon and into Israel? So... There was a, a Hezbollah terrorist, actually, who was captured in a Druze village. And um, they captured him. And really, I commend these Lebanese people for taking back their country. It was really heroic and brave of them to do this. Um, the terrorist was trying to bring a truck of explosives in their village. And they said, no, we will not be your human shield. You will not throw rockets onto Israel from here. We don't want this, this turmoil. And... And I thought it was really important to uplift voices of Lebanese people who are on the ground. And I got so much support from some of my Lebanese followers who are saying, yes, we absolutely do not want Hezbollah. We do not want them in our in our country. They, they, they have the interests of Iran. They clearly don't have Lebanese interests, especially with the Beirut explosion. Um, Lebanon needs, you know, a stronger leadership who cares about the people and not about destroying Israel or any other ulterior motive. Noah, how did it feel just this last week, you know, you live north of Tel Aviv. You don't necessarily live in the get- in the negative in the south of Israel, although you might not be in the far north either. But I mean, how does it feel when you, you know, hear these stories about like people within X amount of kilometers of where you are living who are fashioning these weapons and are bringing explosives into civilian neighborhoods? Honestly, like, if I'm t- like, if you walk outside in Hadera where I was, there wasn't like anything that was necessarily super different. I think a lot of the people are like, we have the preparations as much as we can here for if something happens. A lot of people are like, you know what? Oh, like Hezbollah, anti-Semites trying to kill us. It's been going on forever. But it's it's still scary to think about, especially with the communities up north. And a lot of people here in Israel are living with the trauma of childhood, dating back to their childhood of having to run to shelters from rockets consistently time and time again. And especially the people who are older, who are alive during like the last, uh, during the Lebanon wars um, and whose families were issued like gas masks and given all like this uh, instruction, like it's extremely traumatic for them to relive that and and have to deal with uh, being so close to, to people who are literally shooting rockets from civilian areas at civilian areas. Um, and for me, it was just like, wow, like this is really a headline that I'm reading right now. Thank God that like I'm safe. Uh, and I also, I don't live that far north. I'm still south of Haifa. But um, it, it was weird to think, like, this is just a little bit north of me. I've been to these towns also, like, multiple times that are literally, like, within— you can see Lebanon from it. You can, like, you can— if you look at the videos, you literally see, like, across the border where the rockets are being shot from. It's not like you just see a streak of smoke in the sky. Like, you can look and see where, like, literally where the rockets are being launched from. That's how close it is. So for me, like, I don't know, like, it was crazy to think about that. And I'm glad that 
everyone was safe physically, thank God. And also about our brothers and sisters in the village, all the Druzim who put an end to it. They said, no, we're not having this. And I saw Israelis share that video first. Um, and it was Israelis who were saying like, these are our brothers and sisters. I'm a proud part of the diaspora. Well, on a lighter note, have the Olympics ended? I just just get updates on Instagram, so I feel like I haven't seen any new posts. I'm guilty of that. I think it's over. I think it's done. I think think I'm almost done. Yeah. I think the United States did get the most medals. Let's celebrate that. As long as we beat China, I don't care. Um, I literally don't have any sort of preference or care about who gets the most medals out of the Olympics. All I care about is that, is that the U.S. beats China. So we beat China. Let's celebrate that. Um, yeah, we, it's it's over. The Olympics is over. I'm confused on the over. dates. Yeah. Okay, good. And we beat China. Yes. <laughs> L'chaim. Um, yeah, but Israel walked away with its most gold medals ever. I think it was its best record Olympics um, with two and that's super exciting. I was listening to my little uh, Times of Israel daily briefing this morning, and the uh, the hosts were very excited that this was a success in Israel. Of course, everybody um, is still up in arms that Israel dared to even show its face that in an event that was celebrating international unity. But those people can shove it because two gold medals, that's not nothing, that's something. I just want to say I'm so proud of Linoy Ashram. The daughter, an Israeli, the daughter of Yemenite and Greek Jews who won um, gold in gymnastics. First of all, this is amazing. And it's making history because the sport that's usually dominated by Eastern Europeans. And she mentioned it and she said that she wanted to um, to make history and she did. And uh, it's such a sense of pride, Jewish pride, Mizrahi pride, Israeli pride. Um, I was so happy to see it and we're here for it. She killed it, honestly. I'm not, I'm not into the Olympics, but... I'm now into uh, gymnastics. I, I'm her biggest fan. I loved her little leotard with the star. <laughs> she had like a bunch of, uh, I think she had two Megan Davids on her leotard. She had like a, like sparkly blue stars, one on her shoulder, one on her waist. And I was like, I did Yeah, she was repping. What do you guys feel about Noah might have to help me out here? Artom, Artom, Dolgo, Dolgo Piat. Yeah, you got it. Artyom, I got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got it. Who won? Who won? He was the second, is only the second Israeli to win an Olympic gold medal. Um, I believe he was doing the men's floor exercise, which sounds very attractive. Um, <laughs> I don't know what that means, but he was exercising on the floor and he won a gold medal for it. <laughs> He's a G. But the drama, the drama, the conflama that was birthed from this big win for Israel is that he is still not eligible to marry his significant other in Israel because he is not seen by the rabbinate as halachically Jewish. Um, and I, I know you guys probably have thoughts. Yeah, I think that this is like, um, this is like a, a recurring issue and people talk about it a lot. There's a lot of tension like in Israel right now about the... Um, the influence of like the rabbinate and civil yeah. marriage. And I think it like extends to a lot of stuff and definitely affects the Russian population here a lot. And the Russian speaking population, I'll say, because it extends not only to people from modern day Russia proper, but in general to the Soviet Union and former Soviet countries at large. Um, and I think like 
it's a it's a, it's a big problem. A lot of people point out the hypocrisy in a lot of ways, but they're like, this is someone we're proud of. This is someone who's Jewish. This is someone who's part of the Jewish nation, the Jewish country, and representing us. Um, but he can't even get married because he's not necessarily viewed as Jewish enough by a certain part of the government. And I honestly think it's it's ridiculous. And I think we see this also not only in Israel, but you see it even from certain communities outside of Israel. Like on Twitter, a couple of weeks ago, I remember seeing some slander about like patrilineal Jews, this, like a generalizing statement about like how patrilineal Jews are going to become anti-Zionist. And I'm so like how it's like a pipeline. And for me, that pissed me off a lot. I don't get involved in Twitter beef. It's not worth it. Like I'd rather just talk to the person about it if it's a problem. But that pissed me off a lot because like, you know, the, I'll stay with the whole Twitter realm. What is the whole like thing? Oh, you're doing this and I'm doing that. We're built different. You're sitting in North America on Twitter. I'll, I'll use the term of, of how um, a Palestinian anti-Semite was trying to put down uh, Russians along with Ethiopians in the same sentence and use the, the generic term Natasha. So you're sitting there in North America on Twitter. Natasha's here in Magav with the M16 in Jerusalem. You could sit down. Like, she's out here. All these Russians have come home. They were coming from a place where it was illegal for them to practice their religion. And they still held Jerusalem in their hearts. They still held that connection to Israel and have come here a lot of times with nothing, a lot of times not even knowing the language, having no family here. They came here, and a lot of times they end up being in the most difficult positions in the military. They end up being in the most dangerous combat positions to protect our Jewish country. So I'm, for me, I'm like, I don't want to hear any, any slander against them. And, and if people are going to say, oh, they're patrilineal, they're going to be anti-Zionist, like, you can make the same generalizing statement about your community in North America. But at the end of the day, these, like, Patrilineal going to turn anti-Zionist Jews are the ones who are serving in the Zionist army. I was listening to a podcast episode um, a couple months ago um, with Mati Friedman, who we've talked about on the pod before. And I believe he was with the Tikva Fund. Um, and he was talking about the specific, you know, scenarios and the political implications of the mass Russian immigration to Israel, the mass Russian aliyah in the 80s and 90s. And that was I think still ongoing and even in the early part of the 21st century um, to Israel and just kind of the culture clash that happened. And one of the things that I thought was interesting was Novi God, which is the, Noah, you can explain it. But anyway, I, I think that there is a whole treasure trove of Russian Jewish culture and Russian Jewish history and Russian Jewish politics that we don't necessarily uh, know about and we're not educated on um, in the diaspora. And I say that as a Jew with roots from Russia. But again, I my family emigrated at the turn of the 20th century, not the turn of the 21st. So there's all those degrees of separation generationally. So I don't I didn't know anything about this. Yeah. And I think also like something that's that's interesting is that here in Israel, um, Russians are seen like as a completely separate category. Like that's like if someone is asking how you identify. Like Ashkenazi you, and then Russian. Yeah, those are like separate yeah, things here. Like that's someone, interesting So too. like someone who came maybe before the Soviet Union, Ashkenazi, even if they're from the same place. But because of the way that the Soviet Union worked and like really bred a completely different Jewish culture, um, mm -hmm. not necessarily for the best reasons, um, but a different Jewish culture emerged from it. It's like considered here a separate different Jewish culture of being Rusi or like Russian. Um, well, not only that, but I was reading this a couple days ago that Jewish families who traced their ancestry back to Russia, but came before the Soviet Union. So like my family, politically now trend left. Yeah, and that's right? not the case. Our, with but 
it, all you need is a Jewish family to leave after the establishment of the Soviet Union. And regardless of where they are in the world, they generally lean right, which is, you know, I kind of geeked out over that because I was like, that's fascinating and whatever. But yeah, but Novi God is like Christmas, but it's not Christmas. Yeah, it's not Christmas. I want to get into this, but also Isabella, I'm curious to hear um, your thoughts about the whole debacle with Artyom and um, oh, yeah. the halakha. Um, it was interesting. I was reading a post and then I went to research it a little bit a few weeks ago on patrilineal Jews. And is that even halakhically permissible? What What is it and what's the deal with that? The first, apparently, it's a little bit fuzzy in my mind now, um, recording of when um, Judaism became matrilineal was in ancient Rome because of uh, rapes and because of, um, let's say, it was hard to question like who the who the father was and but we always know who the mother is. And because of that, among many other reasons for survival, that it became, that Judaism became passed down from, from the mother. And um, I think it's worth maybe revisiting that halacha or, or having a conversation about it with the, with the Beidin, with the, the rabbinate, because I'm not sure it's, uh, I don't think this is a Torah-based law. I, I don't want to, I don't want to say because I'm not, I don't know, but I don't think it is. And I was reading a lot about it. Of course, like a blog is not the best source. So I don't want to, I don't want to set it in stone, but a Jew is a Jew is a Jew. And if you identify as Jewish, if you fight for the Jewish state and you're putting your life on the line, as you said, Noah, um, you know, Russian Jews who are fighting in the IDF, well, who is to say who's Jewish and who's not for this purpose? Like, in order to be Jewish, according to Israel, you have to have at least one grandmother who's Jewish on either side to make Aliyah. And we took that from Hitler. So I don't, um, I don't, I, I don't Did get... Did we really... Be, well, yeah, to be, make Aliyah. Because if it's I enough know, it's like for us to get killed, then it's enough for us to come home to make sure we will never get killed like no, that again. No, period. I just, um, I know yeah. about, you know, the Mischling and, and all of the laws that were passed. And, and I've, you know, seen that poster a million times at the Holocaust Museum. But I guess I never made the connection that that became the rule. If you're Jewish to make Aliyah, uh-oh, that makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> and also, um, as a law student, I think it's interesting too, because in Quebec, only in 2005 was marriage was marriage um, like legal for same-sex couples, which is absolutely way too recent. But in, instead in there America, was, you know, it was 2015. So, I mean, nationwide. So we beat you to it. Or That's crazy. In terms of, in terms of yeah. we bad beat you to it. But yeah, so a lot of, but before you, you could still get married, but it was um, a civil union. A lot of people were making the case that a religious marriage um, should remain religious. And if you want to get married civilly, you can get married civilly. So, I just it just makes me think of that. Like, does, it, does Israel have a civil marriage option instead of it only being religious? No, not at the moment. They don't. So I think like that should at least be an interim thing that Israel can do easily. It's, but I don't see why they the rabbinate has to have comp- like that would be a good solution to it, in my opinion, for at least the time being until we deal with the rabbinate until now to at least get married civilly and not and not religiously. And I think that's fine for now. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I agree. Like, I think that the um, civil marriage, first and foremost, because this also affects between like um, the issues of uh, people from like different religions or who's considered halakhically Jewish, but it also affects other people. It affects that affects gay marriage. This affects a lot of other different communities and situations. Um, so I agree that that needs to be handled first. There's also this weird anomaly where 
if you get married outside of Israel, they'll accept your marriage certificate. Yeah. So it's like, not like they outright ban it, but there's just this uh, internal issue. And I think that um, a civil marriage should be made available and definitely an option if we're not going to solve what's happening with the rabbinate. And I think that's super fair. And But it also, like, I would also caution with that argument because when it was, when it's like used here, it could also be a little bit, um, it could also be a little bit overly, um, for lack of a better word, conservative in the sense that, well, it's not really marriage or like people trying, people trying to make the case against same-sex marriage and say, well, it's not really marriage and that's not really fair. But, mm-hmm. and that's why now like, you know, same-sex couples can obviously get married now here in Quebec, but before it was just a civil union. There's not that big of a difference, but they should be married and not just civilly united. So that should be an interim thing in Israel, but I don't think it should be a, a final thing. I just, I don't know, I don't know why that solution hasn't been applied. Yair Lapid, Naftali Bennett, uh, Avigdor Lieberman, if you're listening, we will not stand for another week without civil marriage in Israel. (laughs) Get on that. Lieberman will jump on it right now. Like, he probably is. (laughs) Avigdor, uh, we've had some problems in the past. We've been frenemies here and there. I still think you're a piece of shit on a lot of other stuff. But Mm -hmm. on this thing… Blake, that's not persuasive. That's you're not going Hey, this is He's not Blake is speaking. Or maybe he is. Hey, he like, loves you never know. You got the Russian last name here, man. <laughs> oh, wait. No, we did. We never talked about Novi Gold. Yeah, on the topic of Avigdor Lieberman, who I don't have as many strong feelings about as Blake. Um, speaking of, of Russians and the Russian community, his party is, is known um, for representing the interests of a lot of uh, people who immigrated from the Soviet Union, from the former Soviet Union. Um, so we were talking about this holiday of Novi Gorod, and I think this also ties in like the perception of like, oh, Russians, they're not really like Jews and this kind of propaganda that has been leveled against a lot of the Russian community here in Israel, including like in the past couple of weeks from, um, like there's some really racist ads by some of the religious parties here about Russians as if like trying to portray them as like some atheists, like There communists. was a Shas newspaper that like roasted Artyom and was like, no, this is the law. And I was like, Phew. Yeah, it's a consistent thing. And it pisses off a lot of people from our, from our community, um, which I'm a part of, um, seeing that my dad is from there. Um, but yeah, so basically an, another thing that was kind of controversial, but is also like fun, a lot of people have learned about and embraced in Israel, which I love. Again, it's one of those things. It's like, oh, this is like, this is what Israel's for. So there's this holiday that Russians, all, all like all kinds of Russians celebrate. Um, and, and also in other countries from the former, former Soviet Union called Novi God, which is literally like New Year. So historically, like there are all kinds of winter festivals that happen around the time of the New Year all over the world. All different cultures have them and celebrate them. Um, in Russia now, like the way it's celebrated, a lot of times there's like a tree, a pine tree. It's decorated. There's like presents under underneath. Historically, there's been like a mythical figure called Dia de Maros, who's like um, Grandfather Frost. And all this might sound like, oh, that sounds like Christmas, but it's not. And I think there's some interesting history behind it that I kind of want to talk a little bit about. So first of all, like the whole pine tree thing, it comes from pre-Christian traditions um, in a lot of different places in the world, and especially in like Eastern Europe and a lot of the Slavic countries. Like the pine tree has a history of like representing things having to do with that like festival from pre-Christian times. Um, obviously, it was adopted by Christianity, primarily like Orthodox Christianity as celebrated in a lot of the Eastern European countries. And then following the institution of the Soviet Union, you know, religion is banned. There's not allowed to be any religion. A lot of the holidays that people celebrated weren't Orthodox holidays or even pre-Christian Slavic holidays. They were communist party holidays. 
And a lot of Russian like scholars have talked about this. And, you know, for them, Novi God was special because that was the one holiday where they said, you know, we're going to make um, the New Year celebration. We're going to still have like the tree and all this because it has those cultural roots and obviously have gifts. And it was like one of those few holidays that was not related to the Communist Party. So Russians were able to celebrate it, not have to like buy into some political propaganda. And a lot of Russian immigrants to Israel brought that with them. But when they first arrived, there was already some of the skepticism about these people who aren't keeping kosher. They're not necessarily religious, but they still have this connection to, to their Judaism and to Israel. And kind of caused some questions. People are like, what's going on? They're coming here and they're celebrating Christmas. We're bringing Christmas to Israel. Um, but it, it's yeah. actually not Christmas. Like over the years, people have uh, have started to learn more about it and embrace it. And even like, I, I have a lot of friends here who are Jewish um, living in Israel and celebrating Hanukkah. And then a couple of days later, celebrating Novi God, having a tree in their house. And it's kind of funny to see because a lot of Israelis now, they already know, oh, Novi God. And it's like fun time. And then the Americans come and visit and they're like, what? Why are you celebrating Christmas? So little <laughs> by little, Israel's being the example of showing the world about the entirety of the Jewish cultures coming home. Yeah, I, I, they mentioned that in the podcast that, you know, when Russians arrived and, and this holiday was celebrated, there was pushback and there was annoyance among the rabbinate and there were Jews who were confused because this looks a lot like Christmas. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. <laughs> and they, you know, as time went on, it became just exactly everything that you just said. It was like, no, this is part of the breadth and depth of the Jewish experience. And this was a specific diaspora community that was sharing their customs and sharing their festival. And now I really want to go to Israel, hopefully in December, because my summer plans were scrapped because of the anti-Semitism of the coronavirus. Um, but now that hopefully delts will be subsided, I'm very excited to go in the winter, hopefully in December, and I can celebrate both. Well, Hanukkah I can't celebrate because we have Thanksgiving a <laughs> which we've already talked about how extremely hostile I am to that. To that. Um, but Novi God is a, is a substitute. And if it's anything like, I mean, listen, I, uh, I hang out with a lot of Russians <laughs> in New York. Um, they're not, some of them are Jewish, some of them are not, but uh, it's just, that's the way that the cookie crumbled with my social group. Um, and for my uh, 21st birthday, or a couple days after my 21st birthday, we went to the Russian vodka room. Ooh. Let me tell you something about that Russian vodka room. Let me tell you something about that caviar. I've been thinking about it ever since. Um, <laughs> and the dessert and the food and the atmosphere. And, you know, it's, I'm, and that's why I re-listened to the podcast because I was interested to find the intersections between that culture and Israeli culture and how they're now one and the same. So, yeah, I mean, like, in my particular own, like, family unit, it's not like we had huge, like, Novi God celebrations. Usually, like, my babushka would have a tree. My babushka and Yirushka, they would have a tree and have, like, presents. And they'd be like, oh, come, you can have New Year's presents um, when I was Aww. little. But both of y'all are invited. Come to Israel. We'll go celebrate Novi God with my Russians. Isabel, let's go together, and then I'll find a husband. <laughs> I'm down. But I learned so much. I had no idea about this Russian-Jewish holiday. Like, I, I like, it's super interesting. I'm sure our listeners are going to learn, too, all about yeah, it. It's cool because it's yeah. not even particularly Jewish. Like, it's a gener generic, like, Russian holiday at this point. But, like, obviously the Russian community that oh. was to a certain extent there, like, brought it to Israel. Now, I do have to say, there's a, apparently a Russian Jew—it's uh, not Russian-Jewish. Like, it's not—it's it's like Novi Gode. It's, it's Russian. It's not explicitly Jewish. But the only reason I said the two together is because the person who told me this was a Russian Jew um, who, left this, who left Russia just a couple years ago. 
Uh, apparently, there's a Russian tradition on, on New Year's on Novi Gode to watch this movie called Irony of the Fate, um, which also translates to Enjoy Your Bath. I don't, I don't know why that is, but um, it's a movie about these two, these uh, this couple in Russia who keep on trying to find each other, but they keep on winding up in the same exact Soviet cities where like all the architecture is the same, and it's very confusing. It's like Russia's, it's like Russia's uh, version of a romantic comedy. And since I learned about that in two thousand like sixteen or seventeen, I've been watching it every New Year's. There you go. Send me the name in Russian. I'll ask if my dad has grew up watching this or. That's so cute. Um, okay. Any final thoughts, you guys? Yeah, let's go to Israel, Blake. It's it's we have to join Noah. And that's really right. the final thought. And then where we started. Noah, how? Yeah, Noah, are you there for the foreseeable future? I'm coming back to the U.S. Actually, so anyone who wants me to come, like rap at your organization event, anything, hit me up. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or forever hold your peace. <laughs> Until the next time I'm back in the U.S. So I'm going to be in the U.S. for a little bit in the fall. Um, coming back to Israel again in the fall, then I might be. Back again in America a little bit in the winter, so might miss Novi God in Israel. Um, but we'll see. Keep you posted. Well, everyone, it's been real, as it always is. And I just have one last thing to say before we completely call it quits. Now, Noah, I think we need to take the lead on this. Blake has been promising that we're going to free the menorah. He has been, it's episode nine. I think we're gonna have to take things into our own hands, Blake. Here, the I have failed you guys. It's killing us. We haven't have failed, failed us just yet. We're we're just gonna help you, and you know <laughs> this endeavor to free the menorah from the Vatican. We know they have it. We know they have it. So That's tune in it. next week to find Isabella and Noah's plan to hear Isabella and Noah's plan to liberate the menorah from the Vatican basement. Because clearly, my plans keep on running afoul. They keep on becoming foiled. Not consistent. It's all right, we got you. I have the secret intelligence from uh, the stuff I found underneath the Novi Gold tree. Oh. But you should contact, to. maybe I should contact, that's what. That's gonna be in my email to the Israeli Department of the Interior. Let me into your country, and if you do, I promise I will bring back the menorah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty good ask. I think they it's can't like... say no. <laughs> They're gonna be like, how? And I'm like, just trust me. <laughs> but Blake, where are you gonna put it? Where are we gonna put the menorah? After. Yeah. In my apartment. Arhabait. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was, no, you got it. <laughs> They're gonna be like, can we have it? I'm like, no, no, it's mine. Like, it's gonna be in Israel, but like, I'm gonna have it. <laughs> if you live in Arhabait, nearby, technically you could get some of that as your property. Let's do it. There we go. I'm a proud part of the diaspora. In my heart, a whole Jerusalem in Africa. Kicked aside of our land and started gassing us. Till we put our foot down, cause we had enough. Check out the flag that I'm waving. Two blue stripes and a huge star, David. Check out the flag that I'm waving. Keep shooting rockets, but you never gon' take it.